welcome. It is the American Thanksgiving Day version of the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here as we get you set for what should be a fantastic day of football starting at 12.30 p.m. Eastern and going on a game at uh, 4.25 or 4.30. And then we have the nightcap at 8 o'clock. And Donovan, I have to ask you this question. Even though uh, us Canadians are not celebrating this Thanksgiving, um, uh, firstly, I'm jealous of the Americans because they do it right. Because as Adam Rank said, basically everybody gets the whole week off, uh, except for the people on the LA freeway. But is there, aside from Turkey, because I feel like Turkey is the standard, is there a favorite Thanksgiving Day portion of the meal for you? Wow, that's a great question. I'm a big mashed potatoes guy. Garlic mash? Any mash. Sure. <laughs> I, I like garlic. Uh, you can smother it with some great gravy. We're out here. I'm Now, there have been some wild takes about turkey. Turkey might be the most divisive bird. Most divisive Yeah, food. probably. Mm-hmm. People need their turkey prepared a certain way what they do after the turkey is prepared. I will say, although turkey is can be overrated, we're not spending enough time talking about ham. I'm just saying, the analytics around ham are high. <laughs> how often do you get a ham that really disappoints? In fact, how often do you get a ham where, you know what, I'll have a second helping. Yeah. So I think we need to put some respect on Ham's name. Get a little cranberry sauce, go to town. So, oh, see, that's where I was going to ask you about that. So we're, we're going to, we're definitely going to get to that. Um, my wife's family, they do not do turkey on Thanksgiving because they apparently do, nobody likes it. No, they do ham. Oh. A, a honey ham. And the reason why I'm big on ham is Donovan. I'm a big mustard guy. Like I, in my fridge, not a word. This is going to, people are going to be like, wow, this guy's a weirdo. Um, not going to lie in my fridge right now. I believe I have four or five different types of mustard in my fridge. I didn't know there were four or five different types. Oh buddy. You fit. There are mustard, so many. There's mustard, yep. mustard. There's Dijon mustard. What other yep. mustard do you need? I've got a honey chipotle mustard which goes great on sandwiches. And I've also got uh, a barbecue mustard, which is fantastic. Now you're just I'm mixing a big fan. condiments together and calling it a different condiment. Like you're just, well, whatever. You, you could put barbecue sauce on something with mustard. You don't got to mix them together. Hey, it comes in the container and it says barbecue mustard. And it's, I believe it's French's. So, I mean, at that point, it's mustard. With a little spice of a slice of uh, barbecue sauce. Sure. Okay. The, the NBA uh, in-season tournament champion is going to get a trophy, but it's not the Larry O'Brien. <laughs> it's not a real trophy. Some of these That's things true. are not considered equal. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. Okay. Before we get to the games, because there are three games that we've got to get to here, plus some other stories that are insane. Cranberry sauce. See, I'm I I'm not a cranberry sauce oh, guy. Geez. Not a fan. You're- you're not doing it right. You're not doing Thanksgiving <laughs> right. Or someone's just not making the cranberry sauce appropriately. Do people, it's do people, not, how many it's people not make big in my cranberry family. sauce? Most people buy it. Let's be honest. Yeah, it's out of the can. Come on. 
I mean, you if you're if you're really doing it, then yeah. Here, um, here's what I'll say. I'm not a guy, and you can at me. D o two n's o v a n b e n n e t t. Come at me, bro. Do not care. Stuffing is disgusting. Oh Stuffing man, is disgusting. Just think about Donovan. what it, think literally think about what it is. Just Still think bread. about it. And and Still what do you bread. do? What do you do with that? How do you prepare you mash it? it? You mash it up and mix it with stuff and throw it in the turkey and, and throw it in the turkey. You're eating See, something that was just chilling in a dead animal. But you don't. But you don't have to though. Like my grandmother went because the one thing that I always say is. If we're going to, my grandmother will make extra stuffing that does not go in the turkey as well because I like it so much. She's segregating. It's, it's requested. The, the stuffing? She does some in the bird. And then because there's never enough, we we have extra as well. Does the non bird stuffing taste appreciably it's different? It's good. It's no, and uh, a little bit. It'll get like a little bit crispier or whatever because it's not in the bird, but it's very good. Here's how I know stuffing. Is. You're gonna, but you're gonna get killed. On That's, fine. For that. That's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Real ones, no. Here's how I know stuffing is not only disgusting but overrated. How often, outside of two days a year, Thanksgiving, maybe Christmas, how often do you have stuffing? Zero. Oh, Zero man, I would, percent. Are you out here my, in April <laughs> saying, "Ma, pass the stuffing"? You're not. You know why? I would, because you can live without it. Because it's not that good. Oh no, I would. I've seen the. No, no, not, this, not you would. Do you? Do you eat stuff I, other than I, those two days? Here's why I can't. My wife has a gluten intolerance, and I haven't found gluten free stuffing just yet. Because the stovetop one, people are like, oh, it's got stovetop stuffing, ninety nine cents for a box. That's good stuff. What What I hear is excuses. Because <laughs> I mean, your wife could be allergic <laughs> to beer. I think you'd find a way to drink a beer if you really wanted stuffing throughout Ooh. the rest of the year. You would have had it. So we got, I got a tweet from Melissa. Um, this one of my favorite mustards, highly recommended for mustard fans. Uh, hot whiskey mustard. Okay. Fire it up. Let's go, Melissa. Thanks so much for that. I'm, uh, I'm going to look into that. Okay, we got football to talk about. Uh, as much as I'd love to talk about food, I'm starting to get a little hungry, and that's not a good thing when you're on the air. The Lions and the Packers, the first game to kick off the Thanksgiving Day slate, um, the Lions always in it, as we know. But here's the thing. Now they're actually relevant, which is a totally different thing that we're not used to. Eight and two coming off. A, I want to call it an impressive comeback win. I don't think the win itself was impressive, but the fact that they came back, scored late, that for me was impressive against the lowly Chicago Bears. They keep pace with the Eagles in the NFC for that top spot. And, you know, when I when I look at the Lions, I look at a team that, really has kind of the perfect mix. The defense is really good. Their special teams is really good. And on offense, they have found a really nice balance, not only with the passing game and the running game, but how they use their running backs as well. David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs had, I believe, the equal amount of touches last week. Both are very good players and different players. I think that they have found the perfect mix with this group. And to me, no surprise here that they're eight and two. The Lions are the perfect meal. Got a little bit of bread, a little bit of salad. Stuffing, and, yeah. And some, some apps before just to get you right. You know, nice drink to wash it down. I, I think this is a massive, massive game for the psyche of the Detroit Lions and their fans. For how long were they a laughing stock? 
where we turned on the TV on Thanksgiving for that early game. It was on in the background. Did you pay attention? Because it didn't matter because the Lions were going to lose. And quite frankly, they've gone on runs. The 2004 to 2012, they were 0-9. Then Matt Stafford gets in the building, thrown to Calvin Johnson, and all of a sudden, 2013 to 16, they go 4-0. But then the Lions, they be lying. And they've been 0-6 since. I think they get on another run. When Dan Campbell gave that opening press conference about we get punched in the face three times and we fall down, but on the way down, we're going to bite your kneecaps, we're going to get up, and you're going to take us down, but we're going to get right back up. It was about this game. They have gone to other buildings and taken them over all throughout this year. But in their building, the rest of the league is going to watch the new Lions, the 8-2 and two Lions, the Lions that beat the Packers to end last year, beat the Packers at the beginning of this year, and I not only think they're going to beat the Packers again, I think they're going to put it on them. I think this is going to be a statement game for that team with that coach who's going to have them fired up to say, no, actually, we get the big piece of turkey or chicken or ham in this division. We, you just saw us beat the Bears when we weren't playing our best football. We're going to show you our best football against the team that used to run the division. I think the Lions make a statement today. Yeah, and not only that, on the short week, you want to be able to grind out clock and there may not be a better team that's suited for that at this moment than the Detroit lions with the two backs that they have. Jameer Gibbs has been fantastic and it did take the lions a bit of time to figure out what his role was, which is kind of ridiculous because you took him with the 12th overall pick. You kind of should know what his role is going to be coming into the season. But what we've seen is we've seen this team have success on the ground. David Montgomery off the injury, has looked really good, uh, scored the game-winning touchdown. On the offense, though, the one thing that I'm really interested to see, because I think we've seen an increase in opportunity, um, scored a touchdown this past week, and that's what Jamison Williams is going to bring to this offense. It's been well-documented how good Amon Ross St. Brown is. We know that. Also, how good Sam Laporta has been, generally speaking, the whole season. But Jamison Williams was always the wild card with this team high draft capital hasn't been able to get on the field, whether it be through injury or suspension. And now, you know, as Dan Campbell kind of alluded to, like he's kind of found his legs a little bit here and that's going to be a big piece because you know, what did you and I talk about at the trade deadline, the Detroit lions, they should go out and add a wide receiver because it really hasn't worked to this point with Jamison Williams. Well, it looks like it's starting to, to the, the, the tree is starting to bear fruit here. I'm very curious to see what Jamison Williams' role is the rest of the year because if they can get him going, we know he's talented. Man, the Detroit Lions, they're already kind of hard to stop on offense. If they can get Jamison Williams going, they're going to be really hard to stop on offense. I think because he started his career hurt and missed most of the year when he came back, they had him running down on kickoff on special teams. And then he was suspended and away from the team that we forget how good Jameson Williams was yeah. in the NCAA at Alabama. Alabama, who has become a factory of producing wide receivers, better than anyone in the country outside of maybe LSU and Ohio State. When you talk to people about his comps coming into the draft, people in Alabama thought he was Jalen Waddle plus, plus, plus. They thought uh, yeah. his level of speed and his level to make cuts at speed, which not everyone can do, 
was next level. And we've seen a bit of an up and down in terms of the production of those Alabama receivers. Waddle has been really good, although this year, if you're a fantasy owner of his, you were somewhat frustrated. Jerry Judy started hot and kind of tailed off, and obviously Devonta Smith has continued to get better and better and better. But physically, if we're running all those guys through a combine, I, I think we'd be most impressed with Jameson Williams. So he doesn't have to be, unlike you know most of those guys in their situation, he doesn't have to be a number one on this team because he's got, you know, Amon Ra. And if he just takes a bit of the attention to detail, the route running, the re- release and leverage that Amon Ra has in his game and applies it to his game with the physical tools he has, this Lions, Lions offense is going to be a problem for a while. It is. And when they go into this game today, uh, going up against a Packers team that is really banged up right now, Aaron Jones not playing, Jair Alexander not playing, Devondre Campbell not playing. Like they're they're banged up at, at some key positions. Uh Dontavian Wicks, who has been has shown some flashes uh for that offense, is also inactive. It's it feels like a much easier test than maybe it would have had those guys been in the lineup, but for the green Bay Packers, listen, this season has been as weird as it gets. They, they don't score points in the first half, but they're one of the highest scoring teams in the second half. And Jordan love at the beginning of the season looked great. And then he didn't. And the defense, which I thought was going to be the calling card really has been up and down. Like that's, that's the best way to describe this team is kind of a roller coaster. Somehow, they're the next team up when it comes to the playoff race here at four and six. Yes, they are two games behind the Minnesota Vikings, but somehow they're here. Jordan Love has looked a little bit better in the last couple of weeks. And when we let's focus on Jordan Love here for a second. When we evaluate Jordan Love, should we be evaluating him as a guy who sat behind Aaron Rodgers and didn't play? Or should we be evaluating him as a guy like a rookie quarterback? Because it's one thing to sit behind someone and and watch. It's another thing to get game reps is where you really learn. And I know people are going to say, well, Patrick Mahomes sat behind Alex Smith for you. But Patrick Mahomes is a next level talent. Jordan Love is not that guy. When you look at Jordan Love, how do you evaluate him? He is someone who sat behind Aaron Rodgers who they needed to play well right away. And they expected to play well right away, which is why they were willing to move on partially from Aaron Rodgers. And remember, they picked Jordan Love knowing that they wouldn't need him to play immediately. But I don't believe they thought they were going to wait this long for him to play because Aaron Rodgers, who was starting to be on the descend in terms of of his metrics uh, on, you know, deep third throws. They picked Jordan Love, and here's the succession plan, and all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers says not so fast and reels off back-to-back MVPs and got back to that elite level, and they had to clearly wait to play Jordan Love. So he, in the timeline, probably should have played earlier than this. He had the benefit of waiting. They're going to have to make a decision on him financially in this offseason because I think this game is massive. You mentioned it. They're still in the wild card race, first team in line, just out of the playoffs. They win this week. That puts them right back in the conversation. They lose and they drop to four and seven. It's a wrap. It's over with the amount of divisional losses they already have and the amount of NFC losses 
you already have. And then you're looking at back-to-back years where this team is not in the playoffs. This one started by Jordan Love. Then all types of questions start in terms of who should be the quarterback, who should be running things. So I, I think this is a massive game for Love just to buy himself more time to prove that he can be the guy. I'm I'm glad you mentioned who's going to be running this team because I didn't really have the thought until you mentioned that. Like that'll be back-to-back years that Matt LaFleur has also not been in the playoffs. And the offense has been, you know, and I've talked to a couple of Packers fans. They haven't really been happy with the play calling uh, from Matt LaFleur. And maybe Matt LaFleur is not, you know, the the answer to what ails this Green Bay Packers team. They go, they got the Chiefs, the Giants, the Bucks, the Panthers, the Vikings, and the Bears to finish off. If they can go on a little bit of a run here, they may have Jordan Love keeping his job, but also may have Matt LaFleur keeping his job as well. If they don't, listen, I think all bets are off here. I, I think with some of the names that are going to be out there for head coaching candidates, I think it would be foolish of the Packers to not at least consider different options because maybe this isn't working with Matt LaFleur. And I know some Packers fans are going to call me crazy, but I just look at it and say, what, how much of our evaluation of Matt LaFleur is also because we need to figure out what Jordan Love is. People are trying to find landing spots for Bill Belichick if and when the Patriots move on from him. Did you see him in Green Bay driving down Lombardi Way? That is obviously getting a bit ahead because you'd need two coaching changes for that to be a scenario. But, I mean, I think when Matt LaFleur got the job, we questioned if he was qualified, and immediately they started reeling off 13-win seasons and being a playoff team. But now I think we question, well, how much of that was Aaron Rodgers playing out of his mind? Sure. And even although they were a playoff team, doesn't have a Super Bowl appearance, has squandered some really good teams, and now this team really has looked somewhat lifeless throughout most of the season. And when you look at his comparisons in terms of young head coaches, from that Shanahan McVay tree, well, I mean, Zach Taylor has been to a Super Bowl, and and we expect the, the Bengals to be good uh, for a long time. McVay has won a Super Bowl. Shanahan has has been to um, Super Bowl, and beaten Matt Lafleur by the way to get to the Super Bowl, and beaten Matt Lafleur to get to the Super Bowl. And so I I, I do think that seat will get warm. Not not hot. You're not you're not going all the way up on the winter seat warmer, but you're just getting it to uh, to a scenario where you feel it a little bit. Yeah, you're just mildly toasting the buns at that point. Um, okay, so this Packers team, when we when we talk about the offense in general, it's a very young offense, and it's taken some time to kind of find itself, and and maybe it's found itself a little bit here. Uh, there's still some room for improvement, obviously. Luke Musgrave is the other guy that's that's inactive today. He's out. How do you evaluate the skill position, guys, knowing what we know 
about Jordan Love as well because I Jaden Reed has flashed. Christian Watson has really taken a step back this year. He's battled some injuries, but he's also been very inconsistent. Romeo Dobbs has kind of been up and down. Like for me, Jaden Reed has been probably the most impressive wide receiver that they've had this year uh, just because, you know, he's a rookie coming into a new system and, you know, of course, high draft capital being a second round pick out of Michigan State. But this this offense still needs kind of a, a kick in the pants. Like, I can't imagine that Aaron Jones is a member of this team next year. A.J. Dillon has proven that he's not the guy and they don't have anybody behind those guys. I mean, most teams don't. But when you look at the skill position, guys, are we just a little bit too early to judge where this team could be? Or or have you seen enough where you say, like, eh, they've got some skill position guys, but nobody's an alpha there. They're they're kind of maybe middle of the pack, lower end. Or do you think that there is a much higher ceiling here for these skill position guys? They've got three receivers, all young, but three receivers who have been drafted on most fantasy teams and week in and week out are on the bench on most fantasy teams. You see the level of skill and the talent. They flash and they'll have a good week, one in every three, but they don't necessarily do it all together or do it consistently. This from an organization that has made a living, maybe unlike any other, on being able to draft and develop receivers and move them up the depth chart where you start as a number three and then you get better in number two and then we have to move on from our number one, you're good enough to be a number one. It goes really as long as we've been watching football, whether that's Sterling Sharp or Robert Brooks or James Jones or Antonio Freeman or Randall Cobb or Donald Driver or Jordy Nelson or James Lofton or Devontae Adams. They've always been able to develop game-breaking receivers and bring them through the system. And when one got expensive, they moved on and they just moved the next one up in the read progression. And now Devontae Adams has been gone and you look around the room and you're like, which one of you, will any of you become a number one? And it doesn't seem like it. It seems like a group of threes where you put it together and cumulatively that doesn't add up to a number one. So uh, we'll move on from this one, but I just saw something. And Donovan, you know I like my wacky stats and just wackiness in general. Um, this is Eric Edholm, who uh, who does power rankings and stuff for the NFL draft, for NFL media. Um, s- since the AFL-NFL merger, the Lions are 0-12 on Thanksgiving when the moon is in a waxing gibbous phase. Today. It is in the waxing gibbous phase. And now you ask, Donovan, Matt, what in God's green earth are you talking about? Well, Donovan, like I looked treatment. this up. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. Waxing gibbous is the fourth phase in the cycle of phases. The moon phase occurs once a month, rising around 3 p.m. and setting around 3 a.m., sticking around for approximately 7.38 days before going into the full moon phase. We are in this phase, Donovan, and they are 0-12 when it has been in the waxing gibbous phase. Take with that uh, what you may, uh, your pick for the game after giving me that information. What I take from that is that everyone who listened to that retained 7.38% of what you just said. But they know what waxing gibbous is now. I don't think they do at all. Yeah. 
It's a moon phase. Sure. I might pick you learn something new every day. I, I do. I'm going to both learn and forget that today. <laughs> uh, my pick for the game would be the Detroit Lions. As I said, I think they are going to blow out the Packers at home, and it's going to be a four-hour celebration of the fact that the Lions are back. And think about the history of this game. The Lions started playing on Thanksgiving as a way to generate interest in the team and get people to come to the game because Detroit back in the day was a Tigers town. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. Not a Pistons town, not hockey town. Originally, it was a Tigers town. Now the Lions are the team that is giving people hope of a championship that has badly eluded them. And I think it's going to be a four-hour celebration. People are going to be out here taking selfies in front of the Barry Sanders statue. And apparently there's a Barry Sanders documentary on Prime that I have heard is outstanding. So if you want more Lions content, all of our listeners in the Windsor-Chatham area, then go ham on all things Lions. But I think Lions win big today. You? Yeah, I think the Lions win big. I think they break the moon cycle and win uh, and break the 12-game losing streak during uh, the waxing gibbous phase. Um, so just as a reminder, uh, Jair Alexander out, AJ Dillon, uh, uh, Aaron Jones out, AJ Dillon is active, Luke Musgrave out, Devondre Campbell out. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at the other two games that are on the schedule. The Commanders taking on the Cowboys at Gerald World. Uh, and then we've got the nightcap, the Niners taking on the Seahawks, and that should be a fun one for the NFC West. This is the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett. We'll be back in a few. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here on this special Thanksgiving Day, American Thanksgiving Day edition of the show. A very happy Thanksgiving to all of our friends south of the border. And a hello to everyone who's listening via podcast, wherever you get your favorite podcast. So, Donovan, your Dallas Cowboys are 7-3 and three right now, outside shot. At the division, they continue to play well. And, you know, we, we know about the success they've had at AT&T Stadium of late. They've been blowing out opponents by an average score of over 17 per game. And it's been really impressive. And, you know, at the beginning of the season, it was largely on the back of the defense. But over the course of the last four or five games, we've seen the offense kind of take a step forward here. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but should we start giving Mike McCarthy credit for finally maybe taking the governor off this offense and really, you know, allowing them to open things up and and push the ball downfield and and in turn, hopefully be able to get Tony Pollard going here? When you said, I can't believe I'm going to say this, I thought you were going to say, should we be having the MVP conversation? For one, Dak Prescott, because hmm. those are the type of numbers that he's putting up. In terms of Mike McCarthy, come see, come saw? Yes, okay. but no. Listen, has the offense performed well? Has he been able to get uh, 
Michael Gallup and Brandon Cooks involved? Has he featured and moved CeeDee Lamb around to take advantage of his talent? Has he gotten Dak Prescott to not turn the ball over? Yes, 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 and yes. But we're talking about an offense that was at lowest, sixth under Kellen Moore. He moved on from Kellen Moore as the play caller because he claimed he wanted to run the ball more and play complementary football. You know what they're not doing? They're not running the ball more. They're not running it more efficiently. And they're not really playing complementary football. They're just playing really good football, and they're happening to to win when they blow out inferior opponents. Tony Pollard had a touchdown run last week. It was his first touchdown run since week one. So, yeah, I mean, did you get the right answer on the test? Yes. But if you're showing me your work based off of your own thesis statement, is it an improvement? No. You should have just said, hey, I want to call the place. I don't like Kellen Moore. I don't like his attitude. I, I, I want all the credit. Whatever the reason, I want to call the place. But you sold us the idea that in order for this team to win, not in October or November, but in January and potentially February, you have to play complimentary football and you have to run the ball because it's not about just scoring the most points. It's about winning the most games. Well, guess what, Mike? You're scoring the most points, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the most games. He has not proven his own thesis statement yet, so I'm not giving him full credit. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, we're both very critical of Mike McCarthy for obvious reasons. Um, I've always said if Aaron Rodgers had a different coach, uh, he may have won more Super Bowls with those Green Bay Packer teams. Uh, Mike McCarthy has been a horrible game manager and we've seen that throughout time right seen it in dallas we've seen it in dallas as well but i i want to go i want to talk about that dak prescott mvp conversation because and this is (laughs) because you know people out there like oh donovan he's a cowboys fan he's of course he's gonna say that but dak has put up the numbers and and he's taken care of the football and he's done so while also like you mentioned not having a run game which they had last year and Tony Pollard was good. And, you know, maybe the loss of Ezekiel Elliott, just having another guy who can run between the tackles has, you know, been a bigger loss than maybe we would have thought. But having said all that, Dak Prescott's having himself a fantastic year. And I, what's weird to me is I still get the Cowboys fans that send me a message and tell me how much they still hate Dak Prescott. Like he may be the most, not maybe, I think he's the most polarizing cowboy that we've ever seen. He's going to surpass every record that Tony Romo had. He's already surpassed outside of Super Bowl titles. Every record that Troy Aikman had statistically, assuming he resigns, he will be the most prolific passer of the football in the history of the Dallas Cowboys. That is a fact. You may not like it. You may think, ah, well, this is modern-day football. Whatever. It's a fact. And here's the other fact. The Cowboys play the easiest remaining schedule in the National Football League. So the scenario with which he could be in that conversation is if the Eagles, who play one of the most difficult remaining schedules, drop a couple games and the Cowboys 
surpassed them for first in the NFC and potentially even first in uh, the NFC East and NFC. And Dak is the driver of that. Since week six and, and essentially since the beatdown against the Niners, he's had the best EPA per drop back in the NFL. He's got 14 touchdowns. He's got six big-time throws per PFF, more than anybody else in the league. So unless you're going to give it to another quarterback in the state of Texas and C.J. Stroud, and people have issues with giving it to a rookie, my question is who? He's going to have the numbers. Josh Allen's going to have great numbers. He also might miss the playoffs. And I don't think he's going to have an MVP trophy and not a postseason berth. We'll see what happens with Lamar Jackson and whether he finishes the year healthy and finishes it playing at a high level now that his number one target in Mark Andrews is down. Patrick Mahomes is throwing to essentially five DBs who are knocking everything down. Unless you're going to go running back, Christian McCaffrey, defensive player, Miles Garrett, defensive player, Tyreek Hill. He's going to put himself in the conversation. Now, listen, do I think he's going to win it? No. Would I vote for him? Probably not. No. But I I think he's going to be in the conversation. And for everyone who says, ah, you know, an MVP is... Kind of like porn. You know it when you see it. Well, guess what? <laughs> Matt Ryan won an MVP. <laughs> Matt Ryan won an MVP in the NFL. Sure so there is precedence for in a down year from some of the superstar QBs, you putting up a statistical case on the back of a highly seeded team of winning MVP. I like that analogy. Um, you definitely know it when you see it. That's um, not my analogy, by the way. A Supreme Court <laughs> judge once said in uh, in a case in terms of uh, legislating, I believe it was where royalties went for different um, adult videos, and they were trying to come up with a de- definition of well, what exactly constitutes porn. And the Supreme Court judge just said, hey, listen, like you know it when you see it. And I, I feel that way about MVPs in a sense. So all of that talk about Dak Prescott is also coupled with C.D. Lamb, aside from last week, having his greatest stretch as an NFL player. And he has been fantastic. He certainly vaulted himself into the conversation of, you know, being arguably one of the five or six best receivers in the game. Uh, Remember when Richard Sherman said that he was a number two, like Jalen Waddell and T. Higgins? Well, since then, yeah, since then, Uh, He's been one of the best receivers in football. No surprise there. Okay, on the flip side, the Washington Commanders come into this. Oh, by the way, Dak Prescott is uh, 9-2 and in his career against the Washington Commanders. So take that for what you will. But on the flip side, uh, there's a report coming out that the Commanders will evaluate Ron Rivera at the end of the season. Now, I did a long soliloquy yesterday when you were off about how it would be absolutely insane for the Washington commanders to let Ron Rivera finish this season out. My take was if they get blown out of the building today in Gerald world, that Ron Rivera has to be done because then the season is now over. You would be four and eight and it's done. They need to let Eric B enemy run this team to see what he can do. How surprised or maybe unsurprised are you that, there's a report out there that the commanders are going to 
basically let him finish the year as the head coach and then reevaluate because let's not forget, this is the same guy who said, if I had known how good Sam Howell was, he would have played more games last year. Wow. That's the guy running your organization right now on the field. Like that's a problem for me. Uh, where do you stand with this situation with Ron Rivera? I'm going to say the same thing to Ron Rivera and his representatives, as I said to Brandon Staley and his. What are your KPIs, your key performance indicators? What are your deliverables? What are the things that you said you were going to do as steward of this franchise that you have done that give me the faith that you can lead this team into a new day, new generation of Washington football now that we have new leadership and new owners? You essentially got the job, if we're being honest, for being a good guy. The organization was stuck in controversy. People were down on everything that happened from ownership to front office. They needed a public figure that was likable, that understood the league, that would not embarrass the team further. And Ron Rivera checked all those boxes. Well, those are not critical issues anymore because they have new leadership. Leadership with a track record of running a half-decent professional sports organization. So now the criteria is, can you win us more games than you lose? Can you develop players? Those are things that Ron Rivera has not done in Washington. He struggled to do by the end in Carolina. I think he's a great players coach. And I think if you have Greg Olson and Luke Keekley and Cam Newton, who are essentially not only stars, but coaches on the field, Thomas Davis, then I think he's a great coach to have to lead an already very talented and motivated group. But in terms of developing and cultivating talent, I don't think at this point in his football life, he is the guy. How do I know? Because he didn't realize he was eliminated from the playoffs a year ago. <laughs> because attention to detail isn't his strong suit. Because he had the audacity to get in front of a live microphone and pound the table and said that he watched every throw that Carson Wentz threw in Indianapolis, and he thought not only was he a good signing, but he deserved more money. No, Ron, I'm sorry. We cannot trust you with this organization moving forward. Quite frankly, we can't trust you with our quarterback scenario, and I think the only real question is not who is going to be uh, uh, the coach, because I think whoever it is, it won't be Ron Rivera. I think the question is, Will Sam Howell be the quarterback? And, and and it's fascinating because you could look at him and say, well, I mean, this guy might lead the league in passing yards, uh, which is true. And he, you could also say, yeah, he also leads the league in, in backdoor covers because a lot of those yards came when the game was over at the end of it, but he doesn't make meaningful throws at the beginning of the game to win you a game. W where are you on Howell? Because I saw the upside, but... I certainly haven't seen anything that's overly impressive to make me not think if there was a real quarterback they liked when they're drafting, they shouldn't take a stab at it. So I'm of two minds because I think Sam Howell is a fascinating case because we know and, and we've talked about it on this show. Sam Howell was coming into his draft year, the number one quarterback, probably was a first round talent. And fell to the fifth round because, well, he had poor offensive line play. And now he comes into the NFL and he's very ready 
for poor offensive line play because that's what he's getting right now. He is on pace to become one of, if not the most sacked quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. And that's why for me, it's even more impressive what he's done because he's been under duress so much. Like imagine what Sam Howell would be able to do with a little bit more protection. Like, and I'm not even talking a lot more like marginally more protection. I feel like it would probably be pretty impressive. Here's the benefit that the Washington commanders have. They have time here to figure it out. Like they can get to the end of the year. And I'm telling you, if Sam Howell leads the NFL in passing yards and the commanders have a high draft pick, which they might, and maybe it's, you know, if they can somehow, you know, maybe move up to get Drake may or, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to be bad enough to bottom out to get the first overall pick, but maybe it's a guy like Jaden Daniels. Um, there are options there uh, depending on what your, you know, JJ McCarthy flavor is. But I think that they're in a position where if Sam Howell continues to have the year that he's having, he becomes a very tradable asset. And if we're talking about an ROI here, well, your return on investment here from Sam Howell is you turn a fifth round pick into something a lot more significant because he's going to garner that type of attention. For example, like, if you are the Atlanta Falcons, how much better would the Atlanta Falcons be right now with Sam Howell than they are? Well, I mean, Arthur Smith would still be there, so that would be part of the problem. But with the quarterbacks that they have, Taylor Heineke, the guy who, you know, was taking snaps ahead of um, Sam Howell last year, and Desmond Ritter. Like, where would the Atlanta Falcons be right now? Where would the Tampa Bay Buccaneers be with Sam Howell right now? So that's why I think Washington is in a really good position because they're not in a rush to make that call and they can evaluate Sam Howell the rest of the year. And if they decide that he's the guy, well, then you can maybe spend that draft capital on protecting him. So I think Washington's in a good spot. For me, I would have Sam Howell as my quarterback, at least for one more year, and spend that capital to, to you know, put pieces around him, whether it be on the defense, whether it be on the offensive line, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's drafting a tight end, uh, you know, like, like Brock Bowers with, with their first round pick. So I would give it one more year with Sam Howell because I really do believe that there is something there. Uh, let's get to predictions. Cause we still got one more game to get to here. Um, I'm going Dallas here. Dallas is just really, they're too good at home. And Washington's defense can't keep up, unfortunately. Uh, I think the offense can, but I'm not sure that the defense can. They just don't match up well enough. Uh, I'm assuming that you are going Cowboys, and then as the week finishes off, you are going to be asking me to wear a Buffalo Bills jersey uh, or for you to borrow one on Sunday because you may be the biggest Bills fan outside of me on Sunday as they play the Eagles. So I'm assuming you go Cowboys. I am going Cowboys outright, but I wouldn't be surprised if Washington covers. I think it's going to be a closer game than we think. Really, eh? You think Washington can keep up? It's just the defense for me. Like, their defense is so bad. And and Dallas's defense has been really good. You know, they've given up. Washington's given up the most sacks. Dallas is, you know, one of the best defensive fronts in football. Like, it's going to be a tall task for Washington. But, hey, we've seen them keep it close against the Eagles twice. Uh, so that remains to be seen here. Okay, uh, one more game on the docket. That is the one that will go tonight. That is the Niners taking on the Seahawks. And, you know, we talked about the Niners earlier this week, and the offense is firing on all cylinders. Trey Williams is back. Debo Samuel's back. And the defense looks great with the addition of Chase Young. But... 
I look at this Niners team and, you know, when we talked about being back on the wagon here, I'm definitely back on the wagon. The question is, are they, are they back at that level? Because the competition that they've played, you can say, well, you know, they haven't, they, they beat the Jags. Yes. It was an impressive road victory, but you know, are, are the Jags who we thought they were? And, you know, and then this past week's win, I mean, where are you at with the Niners right now? And especially going into this divisional matchup, which is a key one because the Seahawks are banged up. This is, this is going to be a very big one for both of these teams tonight. It is. Uh, I'm back on the Niners. I think they had a blip. They weren't healthy and, and Purdy was both not healthy and, and not able to use all of his tools. But you're talking about the most, Efficient offense in the league, a defense that has been bolstered at the trade deadline, and now they can get after the passer to protect their secondary. They have two of the best linebackers on the same team. There's an adjustment period with, you know, certainly a new staff given the amount of offensive coaches and defensive coaches they've lost over the couple of years. But uh, I honestly believe the team that scares me the most in the NFC is the Niners, not the Eagles. I think they are the most complete, have the most high-end talent, and they're the most balanced on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and, and with this and with this Niners defense, you know, we talked about with all the changes, and you know, they've lost safety, uh, Talanoa, Hufanga, and that's a that's a big loss for this defense as well. I just as much as, as it is a big loss, I look at the way that this team is able, at least over the course of the past couple of weeks, has been able to apply pressure to the opposing quarterback, something that they really struggled with the three games prior to the bye. And we've seen it with, with Nick Bosa's stats. They certainly did not look like a guy that should have been paid as much as he was. But I wonder how much of a loss again it's it's a big loss but when you can rush the passer and you give him less time you don't necessarily need a secondary that is incredibly talented i've seen it with the buffalo bills last year they were able to create a pass rush and a secondary that did not have tredavious white and you know a, a first round frankly a bust in kair elam they were able to create plays and and make big ones at that how do you look at the loss of Hufanga and and is it as big a loss for you with how that pass rush has has fared over the last couple of weeks after the addition of Chase Young? I think it's a massive loss because the modern day football game is so often taking your best receiver and moving them around or, or catch uh, pass catching tight end and moving them around. And so you need one people who can cover man to man in the slot, something mm -hmm. He could do, but also, too, someone with great range to allow you to cover the deep third of the field and protect those corners, something that he could do. So I do think it's a, a massive loss. You, there aren't many players in the league that can do it, never mind many on the same team. It's different than, you know, the Cowboys losing Trayvon Diggs but then having a Deron Bland. I think you can find, you know, outside Corners. I don't think you can find safeties that impact the game that way. And you're now looking at a team in Seattle with the complement of receivers that they have, the way that, you know, 
a locket moves in the slot. DK Metcalf is running those big over routes, those big dig routes in the middle of the field. I think this is a game where you can feel it, especially with Geno Smith being big enough to be able to see and make those throws. So they're going to find out immediately um, it, how big of a loss it is for sure. They sure are. And for the, and we only got a, a minute or so left here, but for the Seahawks, um, Geno Smith is banged up. It looks like he's trending to play, but we're going to find out no Kenneth Walker. Uh, the only question I have is, are the Seahawks just really average at six and four here? We're going to find out because they got the third hardest remaining schedule in the league. I think the market says they are. They're underdogs in their next four games. This is one they got to have. 0-2 against the Rams, play San Francisco twice in the next three weeks. So if they want to prove that they're elite, they have a chance to go out and win the division right now. Yeah, and a big one. Uh, this is the home game. And then uh, next week they have the Eagles. And then the week after, again, the 49ers. Woo! So this is, a, uh, this is a tough stretch of football here. Okay, pick for the game. Who you got? I got... The Niners winning Seahawks cover. Uh, I got the Niners winning, and I think they blow them out on the road. Uh, best bets, I'm going to get them in here. Uh, Jaden Reed over 41 and a half receiving yards. And then I got an Almon Ross St. Brown anytime touchdown. Uh, that's going to do it for us here. Enjoy the full day of football on this wonderful American Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for joining us here. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks to Andrew behind the glass, Donovan across the table. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Donovan is off, and I will chat with you then as we preview this weekend's games and look back at today's slate of games. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy all the football and uh, iron the coach with your butt, okay? We'll talk to you tomorrow.